We are continuing in this message series. We're continuing in First uh, Peter. We're calling this series Hope as we talk about uh, just working our way through this great promise of hope that we have for this life and for the life to come. If you're in that red Bible, we're going to be on page 1023 as we look at First Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 23, moving into chapter 2 just a little bit. As we get started, I want you to listen carefully to something and uh, tell me, I'm going to ask you uh, for your response to this. Just listen. What what do you hear? You know, you can't listen to that very long without wanting to say, somebody do something about that baby, right? It's just... We love babies, don't get me wrong. I, I love having kids in the service. We especially love our own kids, our grandkids, our nieces and our nephews. But, but listening to a crying baby will wear out a young parent. I don't know if those of you who have been parents, you remember when you were young and the first couple especially, and you're desperate and you don't know how to make them stop. Well, why, why do babies cry? My wife works with, uh, with infants in the, in the hospital and, and she will tell me there's... Not very many reasons why a baby will cry. Any, well, why is that baby crying? There's not very many options. Hungry, wet, right? Uncomfortable. Um, yeah, maybe really tired. Or angry. You know that it's amazing how early they develop emotions and demands and they want their way, right? But there's not too many reasons why that baby is basically, it's either hungry or uncomfortable or tired, and you deal with those things, and it'll settle down. When they're hungry, babies want to be fed. And we are going to come back to that thought and that image of the crying baby, and I'm going to be asking you what you're hungry for and what you're crying out for, because it's connected in this passage. But let's read it first. We're in First Peter chapter 1, right near the end of chapter 1. And if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's Word. So far, we've We've talked about how God chose you, how the Holy Spirit sanctified you, how Jesus has cleansed you by forgiving you from your sin, that our response is to be live in obedience to Him, that, that the point's been driven home that we are foreigners, we're exiles, we're here temporarily, this is not our permanent home, we're not primarily citizens of this nation, as wonderful as it is, we're primarily citizens of the kingdom of God. And so in that context, Peter carries on. Chapter 1, verse 23, he says this, For you have been born again... Not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So, chapter 2, verse 1. So, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Let's be seated together. We thank the Lord for His Word this morning. Peter is continuing to drive home this this contrast between the world's kingdoms and the eternal heavenly kingdom, God's kingdom, between our temporary physical life and our spiritual, eternal, lasting life. The new life of the believer is not simply some 
you know, temporary fix just to make you a nicer person, just kind of help you get through. The new life for the believer is an eternal life, a complete change, new life. The old is gone, the new has come to, to give you life forever. And the believer in Jesus has exchanged their old life, the old dead life, the old flesh life for a new eternal life in Christ, symbolized in baptism. And here's where your hope lies. It lies in this, that what God gives you through Christ is not temporary. Or if you're reading the NIV or another translation, it might say the word perishable, right? But it's permanent and eternal and imperishable. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't rot or spoil, right? Imagine this. I think I've got a picture of some strawberries. Imagine this, that you take a a fresh strawberry, right? If you go to the, the market and you buy those strawberries and you, you leave them on the counter, unless you kind of preserve them or freeze them or make them into jam or something, they're not going to last very many days. But they are delicious. I mean, Fresno strawberries, I think, are the, the best in the world. They're, they're just fabulous. The, the best, actually, the best strawberry stand in the city is on Shaw Avenue right near Locan. They have the best strawberries. That's the place to buy them when, when they're in season. But they won't last very long. Now, you feel like you pay more than you should when you buy strawberries at a stand. You think, man, what are these things made of? Gold? No, it's strawberries. They're perishable. Now, imagine you take a nice fresh strawberry and someone says, hey, I'll trade you for this this hope diamond. It's 45.5 carats. It's the most coveted diamond in the world. It's currently insured for $250 million. But some say it would go on, on an auction for up to $400 million. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of jewelry. That's the kind of contrast we're talking about. Our life is like a strawberry. Yeah, it's pleasant and it's nice and there's some good things to it, but it's it's short-lived. It's, it doesn't last very long. And we're invited by faith in Christ to exchange it for a... Something that's lasting and value. Eternal life in Christ. Temporary versus permanent. Now, this is kind of an annoying question, and there's kind of an obvious answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, uh, because that's just the kind of guy I am. What matters more? If you're taking notes today, and you're in, in the insert, this is the first point there. What matters more? The temporary or the eternal? The temporary or the eternal? It's a pretty obvious answer to this. Right? Peter points out things that we already know. He's quoting from the Old Testament when he says that our lives are like grass and flowers in the field. Who hasn't driven past a flower field? If you go into the foothills round about March, uh, you're going to see incredible, like the wildflowers, the grass, especially this year, just spectacular. It's gorgeous up around Pine Flat. The flowers are amazing. But if you were to go up there now, everything's brown and dry, right? The... The flowers in the field and the the grass is pretty, but the grass withers, he says, and the flowers fade. But the contrast, the word of the Lord remains forever. So think about this, what God says, what's recorded in this in this book, the Bible, right? What, What he continues to speak through the Holy Spirit that lasts forever. That's permanent. It's not like the flowers. Now, here's why this is good news for you. Here's why this is good news. Your circumstances will go up and your circumstances will go down. Your emotions will rise and your emotions will fall. You'll have good days and you'll have bad days. Sometimes you feel this intense optimism in your life. Man, we can do anything. 
and sometimes you just feel like deep pessimism. You have moments where you're just killing it in life. And then there's other times when everything just seems totally meaningless. That's the human experience. It's up and down. It's not perfectly steady. But, but even the best of what we can acquire or accomplish or do or say will be temporary. It's not permanent. But what God has said is permanent. For example, something like this. God, this is, this is recorded in here, God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That's not a temporary statement. That's, it's not like, oh yeah, that was good for then, but... No, that's a permanent statement. That's eternal. That's lasting. That's ongoing. It doesn't fade or fall away. No matter what kind of day or week or year you're having. So what you did yesterday or what you earned this week, or what you made for breakfast this morning, or even what I, what I tell you in the next 20 minutes, will all be forgotten by next week. might be all forgotten by this afternoon. Right? And it probably won't matter. That's probably okay. Because even the most difficult, painful things that you've been through in your life, while you won't forget them, they will not go with you to the next life. And, and as we've been reminded quite a lot lately, it, the next life is coming sooner than any of us would care to admit. The flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So what's, what's keeping your attention? What's shaping you? What's giving direction to your life? What's injecting value? Is it the temporary or is it the eternal? That's why I'm always encouraging you to develop a, you know, a good, consistent habit of reading God's word the Bible, learning to, to listen to God speak his word to you directly. His word is permanent and it's stable. What are you doing in your life to prioritize the eternal words of God? How do you demonstrate it? Well, Peter gives you a clue. How you demonstrate God's word is, is found there. He says, verse one, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy and all unkind speech. Well, this is an interesting tie-in to the eternal, that kind of behavior, what's happening. The best and quickest way to know if someone is prioritizing eternal things, permanent things, is in the way that they speak and treat others. Deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech, that's all the bad fruit of our lips. Right? They all come out of the insecurity that happens when we build our lives on things that are temporary. If you're building your life on how much money you can make, how big of a house you can build, how accomplished you can be in your career, how, how successful your children or grandchildren are, if that's what you're building your life on, you're going to struggle particularly with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech because you're building your life on things that are temporary Actions may speak louder than words, but some of our words say more than we want to as well. So if you're taking notes, you can include this one. This is your next point in there, that how we speak and treat others is a measure of maturity. How we speak and how we treat others is a measure of our maturity. That the more insecure and immature a person is, the more they're going to struggle with these, these examples. Right? Deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. You know, 
um, I, I would say we all do this out of our own insecurities. Uh, you know, we're trying to make ourselves look a little better or sound better than than we really are. Or we're, we're this failing attempt to try to keep up with what the neighbors are doing or, you know, what your sister's doing or your, your best friend's got going on. We're all we're all prone to this. I mean, it happens in the craziest of places. I as a as a pastor, I get to meet, you know, we have uh, gatherings with other pastors in town. We have a very good Small, but a very good group of, of pastors in this area. We call it the Northeast Cluster. We try to get together a little less in the summer, but typically about once a month, we'll have a lunch together. And um, it's just super awesome. There's such good churches in this neighborhood. You have no idea. They're just great guys. But, you know, so we'll gather and then everybody gets a turn reporting what's happening in your church. And, you know, nobody's saying, well, here's all the problems. No, like someone says, hey, we baptized 15 people last week. And, you know, someone else will say, man, we're just growing so much these days. And then someone else says, yeah, we, we just sent 40 people to Guatemala on a missions trip, you know. And in my flesh, in my inner being, I'm like, okay, I got to one-up that one. I got to keep up. I got to, I'm a little tempted to like embellish and, 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 and like, no, like paint it really beautifully. Oh, yeah. You guys, you have no idea. You have no idea. Right? I don't want to tell them the bad stuff or the hard things or the disappointments. I want to, I want to make it look really good. That's that jealousy of if I'm building my life on how successful I am. Do you, do you have those moments? I, I think you must. At work or at home, maybe on Facebook, someone else's kids are, or grandkids, maybe, or they're getting scholarships, or their their friend, your friends are just taking these amazing vacations, and oh, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond, right? Because in that moment, how you speak and how you treat others is a measure of your maturity. Is it jealousy? Is it deceit? Is it hypocrisy? Is it unkind words? Right? Or is it kindness, encouragement, thankfulness, joy? Peter says, God's word is eternal. And so we want to live for the eternal things that matter. And because we've received God's word as good news, right? That motivates us, he's saying, to leave behind those things like deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and unkind speech. We, we want to feed on God's word so that we develop the ability to speak kindly in encouraging ways. We want to speak what's good and right and helpful to others. How we speak and treat others is a measure of maturity, an indication. You've heard me say this before, but, but I really do encourage you to ha- develop this habit of being in, in God's Word. God is still speaking today through Scripture and in other ways. Not everything that God said and is saying is recorded in this book. Jesus, and I tell you that, listen, that sounds a bit hypocritical. Think, what? Yeah, not everything God has said is is written down. Because look what Jesus said. Let's put this on screen from John 16. Jesus said, this is Jesus speaking. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever He receives from me. Think about this. The Holy Spirit has the job of passing on God's words to you. 
So you might be reading scripture and something triggers in there. And you think, oh, wait a second. This is how this applies in my life. Or you're driving and you think, man, I need to call so-and-so and tell them that it's going to be okay or offer to pray for them. That's God speaking. You're not going to open your Bible and say, uh, call your friend Jacob today at 3 o'clock. Right? You're not going to read that. The Holy Spirit can do that for you. God is still speaking His words. That's how that works. So, the Holy Spirit continues to speak. But, all that to say, we start with and we anchor everything in this. Everything has to be rooted in agreement in agreement with this. It's up for us. This is, you know, it's for us to consume this. But we only, we only eat what we have an appetite for. You know that, right? And now here's a question for you. Who here likes cooked green peas? Oh, okay. This, there's enough of you for me to answer it the other way. Who, who does not care for cooked green peas? Thank you. Okay? Thank you very much. I needed to know I'm not alone. I never have enjoyed green peas, and I never will, and I will only eat them if they're deeply buried in some other food, or if I must be polite, I will choke them down. But given a choice, I will not eat cooked green peas, because they're gross. They're absolutely disgusting. I, If I'm hungry, and you put a bowl of green peas in for me, I will not be tempted. I will not eat them. Right? I'd have to be like... In a Taiwanese prison or something. Like, I'd be like deeply, like in desperate situation to eat green peas. But if you show up with a basket of French fries and a tri-tip sandwich, I'm in. Not a problem. I don't even have to be hungry to eat that. Right? I have an appetite. I have developed a taste for tri-tip and French fries. Now, that's what I want for all of us when it comes to God's Word. That we would... Develop a, such a taste for it that we would readily consume it, that we'd be hungry for it, even when we're not just in desperate straits. You know that feeling of, oh, God, I'm in terrible trouble today. I don't know what to do. Oh, God, I need something. I need something. Ah, right? I, I want you to like God's Word even when it's not like that desperate. Even when it's not like that. Now, remember the sound of that baby crying at the beginning of the message? One of the few reasons that we talked about, right, is that the baby will cry when it's really hungry. And if, you're, if you've been a parent, like we say, you check the diaper, you check to make sure their clothes are comfortable, and you find out, check if they're hungry. If she's hungry, she'll get fed. Right? When a newborn is craving and crying out for milk, mom's going to feed her. That's just how it works. And then Peter says, like in verse, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, are you interested enough in God's Word to cry out for nourishment? Or, let me ask it another way, what do you crave and cry out for? What do you crave and cry out for? What do you crave and cry out for? If you're taking notes, this is the third one there. The last one just says, only hungry babies get fed. I, that's maybe a little bit of exaggeration. We sometimes feed the babies just to get them just, just to distract them. But really, 
hungry babies get fed. Right? Now, sometimes people will tell me, oh, I'm just not that interested in reading the Bible. I don't really, I don't really get anything out of it. I don't really understand it, and it's kind of boring, and it's hard to read, and that's because you haven't yet developed a taste for it, an appetite for it. If you read a passage of Scripture and you understand 10% of it, good. That's a start. You take that 10% and you let that begin to work in your life. And as you are take, as you're responsible or you're trustworthy with a little bit, God will entrust you with greater understanding. Um, let me give you an example. Surprisingly, there are people, can you believe this? There are people who don't like coffee. I don't understand you people, right? How can you not like coffee? It's amazing. Maybe it's because you were raised on Folgers coffee or, 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 or maybe the Starbucks you tried one time was just too strong. Or Here at our church, we serve Mariposa coffee, which honestly is some of the best. I think it's the best coffee I've found in the valley and a wonderful family business up there in Mariposa. So that would help you if you would drink good coffee. Look, I love coffee. You know that about me. I really do. Secret is I didn't always like coffee. When I first had coffee, I just didn't get it. Why would anybody drink coffee? It tastes bitter. It's like, oh, it just doesn't make you feel right. And uh, I was raised in a family of all coffee drinkers, and coffee was always on no matter what. And it didn't take long. I developed a taste for coffee. And so I drink it black, no sugar, because I love coffee. Right? The same is true for sushi. I didn't always like sushi. I love it. Or cream cheese. I didn't always like cream cheese. Right? Or onions. Or lots of other things. I suppose if I ate enough green peas, I could develop a taste for that, but that is a stretch. Alright? The point is, you have to develop a taste for something. And if you know it's good for you, you'll develop a taste for it. That's why I don't bother with peas, because they're actually bad for you. If you knew that, but they're bad for you. Um, when I was a kid, my mom, my, that's the one vegetable my mom did not make me eat. Because she didn't like them either. And I would say, well, I don't like them, but you haven't tried them. Well, why would I try it if I don't like it? See, that's, that was my good childhood logic. All right. Peter says, cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. So, this is what he's saying. As you've tasted, as you, as you spend time with the Lord... See, if all you've ever done is study this book as a book and Bible study and for academic information to know more, that's going to be dry. That's not going to do that. You don't spend time in God's Word to become an expert in God's Word. You spend time in God's Word to develop a relationship with Jesus, the one who gives you the Word. Right? When Becky and I were dating many years ago, we wrote letters, paper letters to each other. I spent a summer in England. She spent a summer at camp. And we wrote real, actual letters with ink and paper. Now, did I read those letters to become good at English? Learning grammar? How to, Did I write those to become good at sentence structure? No. I read those words to get to know this, this delightful woman that would become my wife. Right? That's why you read these words. That's why you spend time in it. I, 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 you know, we've got some more kind of starter copies of the R&R journal at the back. I continue to encourage you to do that. There's a reading plan, two kinds of reading plans, an easy reading plan called Fresh Start 
and a through the whole Bible and a year reading plan. It's a little more challenging. It, it, I've got instructions there. It's pretty straightforward. You might want to get together with someone else to do it. It's not the only way, but it's a good way. You read the passage for the day. You, you write down a verse in full. You, you answer this question, what God is saying to me in my response to God. That's why it's called the R&R journal, the read and respond. And, and then you, you say, here's what God's saying to me today. And then you write a short prayer in response. And you develop a little habit of, of reading something and writing something. Let, let the teacher, when the teacher's speaking, you're taking notes. It's a good habit. It's all about developing an appetite for God's Word. You know, I was thinking about this this week. Um, oftentimes I, you know, I, I do, you know, I've led quite a few uh, memorials for families. And I always ask the family if the loved one had a favorite verse or scripture passage. And sometimes they're able to, to give me something, but usually not. And so I choose something I think is going to be meaningful. But I got to thinking, I don't think my own family would be able to answer that question. Like, hey, did your dad have a favorite verse or favorite passage of scripture? And I thought that would be a good goal. That'd be a good goal for all of us to make sure your family knows a passage of scripture that you love. That's precious to you. That's meaningful to me. Yeah, it's funny. You know, my mom always had this verse on the on the fridge or. Yeah, I was looking through my dad's Bible and I saw you under, underlined this one a whole bunch or some indication. So that's just kind of a little thing I, I want to start working on. Make sure your families know a, a passage of scripture that's precious to you. Look, hungry babies get fed. Be hungry. Cry out. Right. Be hungry for the right stuff that the newborn doesn't cry out for chips and ding dongs. They want pure milk. What, what, you know, mom's milk and Peter calls it pure spiritual milk. And uh, we need to be hungry babies with an appetite for what Peter tells here is the eternal, living, permanent word of God. Let's pray together. God, we're um, we just love that you've preserved your word for us, that we have in Scripture all that we need. And um, we thank you for Peter's reminding to us that. That our lives aren't permanent here on this earth. The things that we pursue and the things that we enjoy, as wonderful as they are, as beautiful as the flowers are, these things fade and and fall in our lives. But you have given us your eternal word and you've called us and you've brought us into eternal life. Lord, those are the things that we want to live for all our days. God, we love you. We thank you for uh, your, your guidance, your leadership in our lives. Lord, let us be gracious and grateful and generous people even today and the week to come. And once again, God, we just thank you for this great nation. God, we want to be a blessing to our nation. We want to be a blessing to our neighbors and our communities. And we thank you for the privilege uh, of living here. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you'll enjoy your 4th of July celebrations this week. And uh, just be a blessing wherever you go. And every time those fireworks are going up, just thank the Lord for uh, the freedom to worship Him here. God bless you. Have a terrific week.